Let's pray. Father, we know that um, suffering is an inescapable part of this world. We know that there's great joys and um, deep relationships and um, exciting things about following Jesus, and we have great hope. But, Father, we also know that we're not immune to the struggles of life and pain. And thank you that you speak clearly and openly about this in your word, and we pray that over the next five weeks as we think about this, that you'd help strengthen us and shape us and mould us um, to be people who respond um, to the trials of this life in a way that brings you glory. And uh, we pray that you might strengthen us um, through your word to do that. Amen. Uh, If you sit down at the um, mall, as I love to do, and just have a cup of coffee, um, you'll notice all kinds of people walking past. If you sit there long enough and just pay attention you'll notice that there's something wrong. Uh, Some people will be limping past. Uh, There'll be elderly people walking past uh, with walking frames, with wheels. Um, You'll see mothers fighting with their kids, trying to get their kids to keep up with them. You'll see worried eyes. You'll see tired people. You'll see worn-out people. Uh, You'll see makeup covering over acne. You'll see band-aids or bandages or broken arms. Uh, Just a sign that at a very superficial level something is not right with with this world. But that's just on the outside, isn't it? What about what you can't see in people's lives? What about the loneliness and grief over losing a husband or wife or a long battle with cancer? What about all the questioning and doubting that's going on inside? What about not even beginning to know how to deal with years of um, abuse or things that have happened to you in the past? Any one life affected by tragedy, if we could see inside it, if we could just get inside what's going on inside one person's mind that's suffering, it would bring us to tears. Put them all together and it's just mind-numbing. It's just too much to comprehend. Why is there so much suffering in the world? If God is good and he sees all this, why does he allow it to happen? Over the next five weeks, we're going to be thinking about the question of suffering and evil in the world. And as we look at the Bible, our aim is to build up a framework to help us understand suffering. Uh, So today we're going to look at the beginning and end of suffering. Um, You'll see that in your outline. Next week, God willing, we'll look at the sovereignty of God in suffering, which I think is the big question How can God be good and in control of everything and yet allow suffering in his world? Um, In the third week, we'll think about God's purposes in suffering uh, in the lives of Christians. Why does God allow his children to suffer? In the fourth week, we'll look at Job, which is a case study. Job is a whole book of the Bible about suffering and about um, a man questioning God. And then the last week is slightly different um, tack. We'll be thinking about why we make such an idol of happiness. Uh, why, why, we, why we all want the life free from pain. Is it always the best thing to avoid suffering or is there times when Jesus actually calls us to suffer? And what might that look like? What's it mean to take up our cross? So these next five weeks, I've already said it, they're not so much about comforting people who are suffering now, although they may do that. But when you're in the middle of pain, you don't, what you most often need is not a Bible verse 
but someone to love you and sit there with you. So these talks are more about helping us prepare for suffering. Preventative medicine, if you like. Not preventative in that they'll prevent us from suffering, but hopefully they'll help us to suffer well. The dark night of the soul is not suffering. The dark night of the soul is confusion in suffering and doubt and loneliness. Now, not always, but often that confusion can become worse because we haven't thought about suffering before it comes. So I'm not pretending for a minute that this um, framework that we're building over the next five weeks will lessen the pain. It won't. Uh, but hopefully after we spend some time together in the Bible looking at what God says about this topic, then when hard times hit us and we're tossed around and we're pushed to our very limits, yes, there'll be questions, but also there, there'll be a solid confidence in God's goodness that can be our anchor. And yes, there'll be pain, but a grief and pain that's accompanied by a joy in knowing that we have an an unshakable hope. So um, with that um, caution, let's begin. This morning we're thinking about the beginning and the end of suffering. If you've ever stacked books into an empty bookcase, um, you'll know that if you don't have something at each end, they just fall all over the place. Now this morning we're looking at the bookends that hold everything in place, if you like. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, the last book of the Bible and the last chapter, Revelation, the point where suffering entered the world and the point where suffering will be done away with. So firstly, the beginning of suffering, point one on your outline, and open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one, verse one, very familiar verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. I want you to notice that last little phrase. Here's an account of God creating the world, and this little refrain, God saw that it was good, keeps popping up all the way through it. Verse 10, the last bit, God saw that it was good. Verse 12, God saw that it was good. And so on for all the six days, God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. And the climax, verse 31, when God had finished making everything, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. What we need to know, what Genesis is at pains to point out, is that what God created was good. God sees his world, he looks down on it. Keep an eye out for that phrase, it'll come up a bit later in the talk. God sees his world and he loves it. Uh, Jill and I, on our day off, one of the things we most enjoy doing is gardening. And there's nothing better than sitting back after a hard day's gardening and being able to say, it is good. There's no weeds, the plants are where you want them to be. It is good and rejoicing in it. And that is what God is doing. He's made the world, he's sitting back, and he's marvelling at it. In fact, don't look it up, but Job 38 verse 7, Job 38 verse 7 says, "Where This is God talking to Job. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations, while the morning stars sang together, 
and all the angels shouted for joy. God's moment of creation is one of joy. It's good. The angels are singing. No death, no pain, no suffering. It's very good. So something's gone wrong. And we find out what as we turn to the next chapter, Genesis chapter 2, and let's pick it up um, from verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Now Eve's not here yet, it's Adam. And verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. God places Adam in a garden and God commands him not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of which um, a lot of people debate what this tree is. And I think it's best just to take it at, at face value. It is the tree of life, if you eat from it, gives you life. We see that a bit later on. The tree of knowledge, if you eat from it, gives you a knowledge of good and evil. It seems that there's a knowledge here that's not wrong in itself because God has it, so it's a good knowledge to have, but in the hands of humans, it's not good. It's inappropriate for us to have it, maybe because God, when he has knowledge of good and evil, only does good. But when we have knowledge of good and evil, we can do evil. But in Eden, before their sin in the world, it appears that Adam and Eve didn't have the knowledge of good and evil, um, just everything was good. They didn't know, need to know good and evil. Imagine a world with no wrong, no evil, not even the imagination of wrong things, not even a concept of things that you could do wrong. Everything is good. Now, it could have stayed that way, but it doesn't. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you'll die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, where did the serpent come from? That's a question that we might ask in a topic on evil. We're not told here. And we're going to see in three weeks as we look at Job that there's things that happen in the heavenly realms, in the spiritual realms, that we are not told about. But in terms of this creation, we are told that suffering begins, sin enters the world when Adam and Eve take the fruit and eat it. Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve desire the knowledge of good and evil, God knows that it's not good for them to have it. He's prevented them from eating it. But they reach out and take it and look at the results. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Suddenly, Adam and Eve are ashamed. When they were created, there was no shame. It's as if they were once totally innocent, but now their eyes are open to good and evil. Adam is now aware of the evil that he can do towards Eve, even if it's just in his head, of what Eve could do to him. And so now they're ashamed of themselves. They, they cover their nakedness and they're scared of God. This world is no longer totally good. And not only now do Adam and Eve have to live in shame and in fear from their newfound knowledge, they also live with the results of their disobedience to God because God set a boundary for their own good and he promised that if they ate from this tree, they would die. And God comes good on that promise in verse 16 and 17 and 18. Eve will have pain in childbearing. Adam will have pain in working the ground. Their relationship will be strained and they will die. They came from the dust to dust they will return. God's world is no longer good. And ten generations later in Genesis chapter 6, God again sees his world. He sits back and he looks at his world. This time what he sees is not very good. Look at Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. The Lord God saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. As God looks on his world, joy is replaced by pain. Now, we hurt, don't we, when our children move away from our dreams and plans? We hurt, don't we? When we see our children make decisions that bring them pain, we grieve for them. God's like us. As he looks on his fallen world, he grieves. Although that's the wrong way around, isn't it? It's not that God grieves because he's like us. We grieve because we are like him. We're made in his image. And if we look on this fallen world and see pain, as imperfect as we are, imagine how much it hurts God to look on his world, his children. Imagine the pain it must cause him. And we have the hide to think, if only God could feel what I feel, he'd do something about this mess. Well, he does feel it. And even though we deserve this mess we're in, even though we have no right to demand anything from God, he does do something about it, remarkably, through his son Jesus. But um, more about that later. For now, as we look at Genesis 3, what have we noticed? I think there's three things. One, suffering and pain are unwelcome visitors to this world. They're not part of the world as God created it, so it's okay for us to be angry at it and think that it's wrong. It is. Two, suffering and death are God's judgment on human sin and rebellion. And that judgment comes on the whole world generally. Uh, it doesn't discriminate. 
the whole of creation sits under the curse of death. And thirdly, um, and this is an important one, suffering and evil are not God's desire for his world. Now we're going to see next week there's a tension in that because yes, somehow this is part of God's plan and he's in control, but this is not what he wants. And in Ezekiel 18.32, Ezekiel 18.32, God says, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. So I think right at the start of a series on suffering and evil, it's good to be reminded of those things. Suffering and pain are an inescapable part of living in this fallen world, but it's not the way it should be. And we long for so much more. We groan for more. It's no longer walking in the garden in the cool of the evening with the Lord. It's groaning, like the passage that Earl read. But there is a day when we'll stop groaning and we will be able to walk with the Lord again. Turn with me to Revelation 21. We've seen the beginning of this creation and where sin sin and suffering enters the world. Now let's look at the end in Revelation 21. Okay, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven for God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away one day god will say enough enough suffering enough death enough pain and perhaps the people who suffer the most now understand that the best Um, I'll read a little quote from Joni Erickson Tata. Joni Erickson Tata, she's a paraplegic. Um, she says every morning she wakes up and wants to die, but she gets out of bed and uh, looks forward to heaven. And this is what she says about Revelation 21. At that point, Christ will open up our eyes to the great fountain of joy in his heart for us beyond all that we ever experienced on earth. And when we're able to stop laughing and crying the Lord Jesus really will wipe away our tears. I find it so poignant that finally, at the point when I do have the use of my arms to wipe away my own tears, I won't have to, because God will. I didn't cry in early church, but I can't help think of Georgina. God will rescue us from this wretched world, and he will take us to be with him, in a new creation. Now there's something very important to notice here. God's judgment is on everyone because we all deserve it. But the new creation is not 
for everyone. There's two groups of people as we read on. Look at verse 6. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, not everyone, to him who is thirsty, who wants to know me, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this. I will be his God and he will be my son. The book of Revelation uses this strange language, he who overcomes. What on earth does that mean? It's all through the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2 verse 7. To him who overcomes, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life. 2.11. To he who overcomes, they won't be hurt by the second death. 3 verse 5. He who overcomes, I'll never blot out his name from the book of life. Wonderful promises. That, that picture of no more mourning and crying and pain could be ours. But what does it mean to overcome? What are we overcoming? Sin? Death? How do we overcome it? How do we get to be part of the new creation? Well, John, who wrote Revelation, tells us uh, in 1 John 5, 5. Don't look it up. I'll read it. Just listen as I read it. Who is it that overcomes? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Who is it that overcomes? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We can't overcome sin and death by ourselves because it is our judgment for what we've done wrong. We can only overcome by having our sin taken away. And that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He took the punishment for our rebellion against God. A suffering that is more than any suffering we will go near facing in this life. And if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if we ask him to forgive us, he promises that we will have a part in his new creation. So if you're here today and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, good on you for being here, good on you for um, being willing to listen to the Bible. Now you must be able to see, even before you came here, that this world is not the way it's meant to be. Well, now through the Bible, God promises you that you can be part of a world where there's no suffering or crying or pain, but you need to humble yourself. You need to admit that you need his help and you need to trust Jesus. And then that future can be yours. But what about us who follow Jesus? How do we live in between these two bookends? How do we live in this time when there's suffering in the world that we can't escape in the time before God wraps it all up. Well, the Bible says that we wait. And as we wait, we groan. Romans 8.19, and you might want to look this one up. Romans 8.19. Romans 8.19 He's just said in verse 18 that he doesn't consider our present struggles worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us, Revelation 21, 19. The creation waits in eager expectation 
for the sons of God to be revealed. And verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, Christians, who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, we wait and we put up with what's in this world. But as we wait, the very fact that there is an end gives us hope. The Bible encourages us that there will be an end. Whatever suffering we may go through now, we do know what's coming eventually. And the Bible encourages us to see our suffering in the light of that big picture. And it doesn't make the pain any less, but it puts it in perspective. And there's a few times the Bible encourages um, us in that way. Uh, Listen as I read 2 Corinthians 4.17. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Or 1 Peter 1.6, In this you greatly rejoice in your future hope, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And then Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, all those passages are written to encourage people who are suffering. And what they're saying is our present sufferings, as bad as they are, they're temporary. They're for a little while. They're momentary. They might seem a long time while you're going through them, but one day they will end. And they're not worth comparing to what God has in store for us. Uh, You might have heard this story of Florence Chadwick before, um, last year, I think, Uh, but it's a good one. In 1952, Florence Chadwick set out to be the first woman to swim from Catalina Island to California. It was 26 miles across the, um, the sea. The water was freezing on the night that she set out to do it. There was a dense fog she couldn't see ahead, but her mother and her trainer were were with her in a support boat, boat, egging her on all the way, encouraging her, come on, not far to go. And with only half a mile to go, after she'd been swimming for 15 hours nonstop training for months, she asked to be pulled out of the water. And a few hours later, when she'd thought out, this is what she said to a reporter, look... I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen land, I might have made it. It wasn't the fatigue that beat her, it wasn't the pain, it was, it was the fog. She couldn't see the end. Two months later, on a clear day, she made it. Now, over the next five weeks, we're going to be thinking about suffering, and none of what we look at will lessen the pain. It may actually increase it when we see some of it from God's perspective. We feel the pain because we're like God. It's not the way the world should be. But as we wait, we need to remember that the end is in sight. We see it in God's word. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. And no matter how bad your life may seem, no matter how dark it may seem at times, 
no matter how hard it may be. God promises an end to suffering for those who love Jesus. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Let's pray. Father, thank you that um, with some of our hardest and deepest questions that um, you don't leave them unanswered, but in so many parts of your word you address this issue of suffering. And Father, thank you that as we start to scratch the surface of it and think about what you have to say to us in the Bible, that we don't find a God who's aloof, who's distant from us and who doesn't understand the pain in this world. But Father, thank you that we find a God who desires this world to be good and who hurts when he looks on this world. And Father, thank you that in your mercy and in your compassion that you have made a way for us to be part of your new creation. Father, thank you that you are willing to send your son to bring that about. And Father, we pray that we might encourage and strengthen each other over these next few weeks as we think about suffering, uh, just to look forward to the day when it will all be over. Help us to think a lot about heaven and help us to pray for each other as we wait for that day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.